This podcast is sponsored by Mental Health Declassified. MHD is a nonprofit organization that aims to create safe spaces within communities to break the stigma surrounding mental health and wellness. With the intent to recognize and highlight the connection between real life experiences and mental health through storytelling, they are advocating to bridge the gap between communities and accessible resources. Check out the link in my episode notes to learn more about Mental Health Declassified. Hey, welcome to The Revolutionized Mind, a platform about all things mental health. I'm your host, Angelica Galuzzo, and on this show, we use real stories and eye-opening conversations to make you feel less alone and a little more optimistic about what's ahead of you. Come on a journey with me. Bring your most authentic self and let's revolutionize the mind. Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Hi everybody, happy Friday. I hope you've been enjoying the sun this week. It feels like we haven't seen the sun in ages. And it's been like summer this week, so hopefully you've gotten the chance to get outside, soak up some sun, and just get all those feel-good vibes. I wanted to mention that I'm speaking on a panel at Step Above Stigma's Coffee House Candid Conversations on Sunday, May 7th. This is happening in Toronto, so if you're in the area, I wanted to put the registration link. It is free in the show notes so you can register and come listen to a bunch of incredible people speak, share their stories, and just have important, candid conversations. Alrighty, today's episode is so informative and interesting in my opinion. I know we've talked about nutrition and mental health before on this podcast, but Abby really talks about the gut-brain connection and how what we eat, our mentality around food, our eating habits, all these things really affect both our gut health and our brain health. And she emphasizes just how connected all of these things really are and how important it is to take a holistic, integrative approach when trying to address any issues that you may be having. And I just love how Abby takes a personalized approach in her work and even in just like her answers throughout this conversation. I think it really shows that every body is different and every body needs different things. So These conversations are never to make you feel like, oh, I need to be doing that. It's really just to give you an idea, make you think about things, and then reflect about how you can apply it to your own life. So as always, thank you so, so much for listening to this week's episode of The Revolutionized Mind, and I hope you enjoy. So today I'm here with Abby King, who is a certified nutrition specialist who also has her own private practice called Bliss Point Nutrition. And we're going to dive into the topic of the gut-brain connection today because Abby takes a very personalized approach in her work. So I'm really excited to learn more about how this can connect to mental health which is obviously a big factor. So before we get into all that, do you want to just take a quick second to introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, So my name is Abby King, and um, I am a certified nutrition specialist and have my master's in nutrition and integrative health. 
Um, and I also have my undergraduate degree in psychology. So I am very interested in this mind-body connection and how nutrition can support mental health as well because of that background. Um, so I typically work with gut health and metabolic health most frequently, which have a lot to do with brain health. So it all kind of connects in this complex but very interesting feedback loop. And um, so, yeah, I'm super excited to be here with you today. Absolutely. And it's so interesting how integrated it really is, but how little is actually known about the whole connection. So I'm excited to learn more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Awesome. Well, can you just first tell us like what made you actually decide to study nutrition? How did you land here? Yeah. So I think it was a combination of things for me. Um, I think the thought process really came up actually when I was uh, playing division one sports and I was really kind of not feeling great. Um, I had always struggled with digestive issues kind of my whole life. And I think just being in that very high intensity, high performance environment and dealing with that type of stress as well, kind of caused my digestive issues and also other symptoms to get worse. So I was kind of in this space where I was like, I'm exercising all the time. Like everything should be feeling good, but I just like, I wasn't feeling good in my body and I just felt low energy and was having symptoms like bloating and nausea and kind of all that type of stuff. So um, my thought process was, okay, like, I'm just going to play around with my diet. Like maybe I'm going to try and eat a little bit healthier, um, because I wasn't super satisfied with the uh, advice that I was receiving from, you know, staff nutritionists. Um, and so I kind of just started playing around with different things. I looked up a lot of recipes on like Pinterest and stuff like that, and just like learned how to cook and all the basics. And Um, I had actually had athletic-induced asthma prior, and after a few months of changing my diet, I never had another asthma attack. So for me, that was, I think, the turning point and where I was like, okay, there's something going on here, and it's not something to take lightly. And um, from there, I, I just decided that I wanted to pursue nutrition after school. My college didn't have a nutrition degree, so... Um, I ended up finishing my psychology major, which I'm very happy about because I think it really helps me a lot in my work today. And then I pursued nutrition from there. Amazing. Yeah, it's interesting because while you were talking, I was thinking back to, I know we chatted that I also played division one soccer Mm -hmm. and like they do have nutritionists on their staff and it was something that was talked about, but I don't think even just a few years ago, they had the knowledge that we do today about how important it is for performance, mental well-being, overall health. And that's why like when I was looking up at your website before this recording, kind of just learning more about what you do, um, it's really interesting to see that like holistic approach that you do take because I think it's so important, not just for athletes, but for everyone. Definitely. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think especially with the gut, like there's been so much research in the last few years. So it's just kind of getting more and more specific and more and more personalized, I think, over time. And I think that that was maybe just what I felt was lacking at the time. Perfect. Well, I'm so excited to learn more. And I know you mentioned like the gut brain connection is kind of where most of your focus lies. So can you explain what that even means and highlight why it's important for people to understand? Yeah, I'll try to to keep it pretty simple because it is obviously a very complicated topic. Um, But essentially, the gut and the brain work 
on a biofeedback loop. So if you're having any type of inflammation or imbalances in your gut, it's going to affect the functioning of your brain, your mental health, um, and vice versa. There's actually a nerve that connects the brain and your gut. And so there's cells within your gut that kind of send signals to your brain based on what's going on in the gut microbiome. And then that nerve also plays a big role in things like digestion and motility. So they really are kind of constantly interplaying with one another. And so that's why oftentimes when we have illness or symptoms in one area, we see that manifestation in other areas as well. Um, so oftentimes with different like gut pathologies like IBS or SIBO, or even if you're struggling with like constipation or diarrhea, that can actually increase likelihood of mental illness like anxiety and depression. Um, so there's kind of a lot of different pieces here. It's not just um, that connection, but it's also that a lot of our serotonin is made in in the gut actually 95%. So if we're having inflammation or overgrowths of certain bacteria or basically I'll simplify it and say imbalances in the gut microbiome, that can lead to also those downstream effects. So sometimes we'll see people presenting with, you know, just mood changes and they aren't necessarily feeling as much of those GI symptoms. So that's why if you're Having symptoms in one area, it's always good to consider the other one. It's obviously not the case for everyone, um, but I do find a lot of times that there's a connection there, and that was very much part of my story as well. Amazing. Yeah, that's so interesting. And does it work the other way as well? So like for anxiety, for example, a lot of it is physiological and does show up in like stomach issues like it did for me. Um, so does that kind of have the same effect? Yeah, definitely. I think that... Um, like you said, a lot of people who struggle with anxiety also struggle with GI symptoms. So I think that stress and, and particularly perceived stress is a huge piece of the puzzle too, because we know when our body is in that kind of constant overstimulated fight or flight space, it creates almost a chronic state of inflammation in our body. And that is very much connected to the gut. So when we're having kind of that inflammatory response, it can also show up in symptoms, like you said, like stomach aches, nausea, and obviously, like, that's a, a common thing when we're hyperactive or overexcited. Um, we'll see those symptoms, but it's kind of the ongoing chronic feeling that that leads to issues. Very interesting. <laughs> and so like, I know just on social media, like we're seeing a little bit more about the gut conversation, mm -hmm. but another thing that comes to mind is like nervous system regulation, which I think is a little bit more talked about in relation to like mindfulness and meditation. I feel like that conversation is really growing, mm -hmm. but what role does the nervous system actually play in like the gut brain connection here? Yeah, so it's really interesting because, um, as you mentioned, we're kind of hearing more talk of the nervous system, which is really great, especially like in the in the mental health space. But when we're in that fight or flight, the sympathetic nervous system is is overactivated. Our body actually shuts down all of the systems that we don't 
quote, like need to survive because you always hear people like give the explanation. It's like, oh, you're like running from a lion or a, a bear or something. And so that's what that system was created for. And so our digestive system shuts down in that context. And so obviously in the past, that was a survival mechanism and that was beneficial to us. But now it's happening more frequently. And I think in the modern day, our bodies have trouble differentiating when we're actually in danger and when we're perceiving danger. So it could be something simple as we get an email from our boss and we're like, "Uh uh-oh, like, and that triggers that response. And so when I say it shuts down our digestive tract, it stops the production of things like stomach acid and digestive enzymes. It slows down motility and digestion. So it really can affect the way that we're able to digest food, as well as not necessarily breaking down foods that we may need to support um, mental health. So the biggest thing that comes to my mind in this context is, is protein. Um, so we definitely, we need significant levels of digestive enzymes and stomach acid to break down protein. And why this is important for the mental health piece is that when protein is broken down, it's broken down into um, different amino acids, which then become precursors to things like serotonin and dopamine. So then there's that connection back to the brain. If we're not getting the raw materials that we need, or if we're not able to actually break down those foods and digest them, then our brain's not going to have those neurotransmitters um, that it needs to, to function properly. Yeah, I love that you brought up that like evolutionary piece, because I think most people know about the fight or flight response and mm-hmm. like how we respond to when like our survival is at threat. Um, But actually hearing like how it does affect the body and these different things that like even the food we ate that day, like is that supporting us in that fight or flight moment? Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to hear how like food, everybody eats it, everybody needs it, um, can really like help us control these like inner (laughs) workings of our body. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I think something that you kind of made me think of when you said that is that a lot of times when we're in that fight or flight state, we also don't eat enough calories and it also causes us to crave um, foods that are higher fat, higher sugar and higher salt because that's a survival mechanism. And so if we're not getting those calories that we need or we're skipping meals, that can kind of feed into this, um, especially like the mental health piece and the anxiety piece even more. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to touch on that too, because I see that happening pretty frequently for people. Yeah, no. And that leads perfectly into the next question, which is just like, what are the first steps people can actually take to improve their gut health? And maybe if you want to share as well, like when you were doing that research and like, what were some of the first steps you made yourself? Yeah. So I think for me, um, at that time I had quite a bit of inflammation in my gut and that's kind of where it connected to my asthma. And so when I think of what the major changes that I made, um, was I think I started eating more whole foods in general. I started cooking more and kind of learning that versus eating things out of a package. I think that that's like an easy distinction to make. Um, Not always an easy change to make, but maybe if we can switch out a few foods or a few snacks for whole foods, I think that's a great place to start. Um, I think the other major difference that I started or major change that I started making was incorporating more colorful fruits and vegetables. 
Um, that's really important for diversity and health of the beneficial bacteria in our gut microbiome. Um, so that's a good place for, for most people to start. Again, there's a few conditions with gut health where a lot of fiber can be challenging to break down. So that's kind of a very specific situation. But for the majority of people, getting that color and diversity of fruits and vegetables, so not necessarily eating the same three every week um, that you're comfortable with, but switching that up um, because that really helps with that diversity of the gut microbiome. And then I think for me, um, there was certain foods that I was intolerant to that I had to remove. Um, I don't necessarily love to like specify what they were because it is very different from person to person. So there's certain things that I had to remove for my body that I don't necessarily recommend all clients need to remove. Um, but I think paying attention to what foods you might feel better after eating and which ones maybe aren't sitting well. And that can look like GI symptoms or it can look like energy levels. Um, I think another thing is, like I mentioned, getting those complete meals and getting enough calories. Um, so looking to get, especially I would say, including some source of protein with your breakfast. I think that this is a huge thing for nervous system regulation, um, for gut health and for mental health, and it makes a huge difference pretty quickly. So I think that that's a great place to start for people. So whether that's having eggs or having Greek yogurt, or even sometimes if, if you don't want breakfast foods, just adding a piece of chicken on the side to whatever it is that you're eating, kind of getting outside of those normal breakfast boundaries. Um, but I find that that really, really helps people pretty quickly in terms of just that regulation and mood throughout the day. And then one other thing that I want to mention is kind of like slowing down before meals. Uh, oftentimes we're eating on the go or we're eating like while we're on social media or watching a show and it's really challenging, actually. Like, this is something I definitely still struggle with, but eating without distractions or just like slowing down and taking a few deep breaths before a meal, because that can help support your body in shifting into the parasympathetic state and allowing it to actually digest foods. Um, sorry, that was a lot of things. But <laughs> no, I love and hate that you brought that up because that's my biggest issue, is I've been told like, I eat like somebody's trying to take my food away. Like I just, I feel like I like go into this state and I just like eat so fast. And yeah, I think it's because like growing up, we were always forced to like eat dinner quickly, get out the door for soccer. Like that was uh -huh. just the norm for us. And that's just something I still do to this day. Um, so it is very important and something I'm like trying to remain mindful of that. Like it's okay to slow down, chew your food. You're not in a rush, mm -hmm. but that's interesting. It makes me want to ask about like, has intuitive eating like this idea of that like really come into play in your journey or is it something that you tell your clients to consider I think it definitely has come into play um and I think that that is really because of the personalized approach I think in the nutrition space it's really easy to get caught up in this is what this study said. And obviously, like I practiced evidence-based nutrition, but there is a very personalized or body-specific part of it too. And kind of having that intuitive um, feeling of like, okay, these foods make me feel better. These foods maybe don't sit well with me. And I also think that 
I mean, I look at nutrition as a spectrum because certain people don't, you know, do well with cutting out a ton of foods. Essentially, like everyone has a different threshold of finding that balance between what feels good for them, but also still having a freedom in their life and not feeling like they're restricting themselves. Because I think that that happens a lot. And especially for people who have anxiety or just have anxious tendencies, it can become stressful because we start to feel like we need to be perfect with our food. And I think that that's something that I definitely struggled with. It was almost like I started here and you saw that pendulum swing to the other side where I felt like there had to be this perfection around food. But it was really when I came back to the middle and kind of found a happy medium and also really started working on nervous system regulation that's when I saw the best results in how I was feeling and, and with my gut health. Um, so I don't know if that directly answered your question, but it's definitely part of it. Um, I really like to encourage my clients to reconnect with their body because that's a big part of the nervous system piece is like, let's get out of our, out of our head and be like, okay, what does this actually feel like to me? And I think that that was one of the biggest challenges um, for me. So it's definitely something that I bring into my work with clients. You know, it definitely did answer the question. I think like even in the mental health space, like these evidence-based strategies, coping mechanisms, like all these things are so subjective and can be so different from person to person. Exactly. Um, and I feel like more so in nutrition because like our bodies all react differently to different things. So mm -hmm. it's interesting. And I'm not sure if you follow Victoria Garrick on social media. I do. Yeah, I love her. I love health. her. <laughs> but she's the one that first like told me about intuitive eating. And I found that really interesting, especially as somebody like her who's recovering from an eating disorder and other mental health disorders yes. to see how she's like brought that into practice has been really eye-opening, I think. Yeah. And that is typically more the case um, that I'll use it. So usually people who are like high achievers, type A, like the classic college athlete type are people that are more prone to disordered eating. So I find that a lot of times with that type of client, intuitive eating is a really good fit. So it really is, yeah, person to person. Um, but I love that example. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> she's the best. And you mentioned a little bit about like that perfect switch, like kind of going from a to B. Um, so how would you respond or how do you deal with like cravings or like people eating, I hate using this, but, like quote unquote junk food or bad foods. Like how kind of do you encourage your clients to have a healthy balance? What does that look like? I think typically my approach is I always start with an approach of addition. So what healthy foods can we add into someone's life versus taking things away? Because I think that that's um, a mindset that a lot of people go in with when they're seeing a nutritionist. It's like that last meal mentality. And that can really create the restrictive mindset that actually causes you to crave more foods. So um, for me, I, I always like to talk about blood sugar in this context. So if we're like using the example of a cookie, because that's, you know, the easiest first thing that comes to people's head. Um, maybe it's not necessarily removing the cookie from your diet altogether, but eating it in a way that it's not going to spike your blood sugar as much and then affect your mood or 
anything like that later. So what that would look like is having whatever the dessert is directly after a meal and looking to have that be a balanced meal. So something that includes your protein, some type of fiber and veggie and um, a carbohydrate of some kind. So looking for that balance, because actually we know that adequate protein and fiber intake before a higher carbohydrate food can actually blunt the blood sugar response. And so the reason that I bring up blood sugar is because a lot of times when people are chronically in that sympathetic nervous system state, they do tend to have very dysregulated blood sugar kind of going like this throughout the day. And that actually can lead to more anxious feelings, low mood, and a lot of the symptoms that we associate with with different mental illnesses. So the blood sugar piece is really important. So not necessarily removing that food, but putting it in the context where it might not affect you as much um, is typically how I would go about that. And it does vary from client to client, but... (laughs) Yeah, no, I love just like the simple calling it like an addition rather than removing something because I feel like that small mentality switch really allows you to like still enjoy the foods you love and like eat whatever the hell you want but like still make sure that you are having a healthy diet and like prioritizing your physical and mental health while doing it mm-hmm. yeah and I think that that balance definitely looks different for everyone so it is really like that's where I encourage kind of the client to do their own work and, and find that balance and sometimes that takes a little bit of time but definitely important to to kind of play around with that Perfect. And so you've shared a lot about like blood sugar, protein, things that like actually practically support our mental health. Um, But what else can you say about that connection? Like, are there certain foods that have been shown to like be best for mental health or ways of eating anything along those lines? Yeah. So there actually is like a ton of research studies coming out around this, which I think is like so, so exciting because it it really like gives us a platform to talk about this more. But the way that I look at it is nutrition can be used as a foundation to support mental health. So not necessarily looking at it as like a cure-all, but looking at it as providing an environment in which it's easier to treat mental health conditions. And it also increases efficacy if someone is already going to therapy or taking medication. So it is really this like integrative approach. It's very low, like harm, like there's not much risk involved. And usually it it shows to have really supportive results in whatever treatment someone might be engaging with already. Um, So one diet that they actually do have quite a bit of like science and randomized controls with already is using just simply the Mediterranean diet um, to support mental health outcomes, whether that's using it as a treatment alone or using it in conjunction with other ones, they have found significant results with using the Mediterranean diet. So some foods, because some people aren't necessarily familiar with what that is, but I think some of the key foods that come up um, are fatty fish, um, healthy fats like avocado and olive oil, um, different nuts and seeds specifically too that come to mind for me um, in terms of mental health are walnuts and pumpkin seeds are both really great. 
um, blue and purple berries and dark chocolate, because those are both really high in polyphenols, which are really important for both gut health. And those two specifically have uh, benefits for the brain. And then again, those colorful fruits and veggies and having that kind of be like the foundation of what you're doing. And then also probiotics are a great addition, I think, to kind of support that gut piece. And it doesn't necessarily have to be probiotic capsules, but just working in different probiotic foods like um, sauerkraut or kefir or Greek yogurt. So I think all of those are pretty simple to add in to um, your daily, you know, meals and foods, especially sauerkraut, because you can kind of throw that on anything. Um, but yeah, so those are some things that that come to mind um, as like a good place to start or certain foods that have been shown to be more therapeutic for mental health. That is so fascinating. And it's so <laughs> cool that there is like a direct relation between what we eat and our mental well-being or just like brain health in general. Mm-hmm. Um I think, again, just because food is a part of everybody's lives, like it's wild that this is not more well known or talked about. Yeah. So I'm really excited that like I have you here and that we can learn from you because I feel like there are so many small things that we can make to our diets in order to like improve everything about our lives. Mm-hmm. And what's great is usually it kind of doesn't necessarily even matter what system of the body you start with, whether that's gut or the brain or, you know, your heart. Like if you're supporting one system, you're still going to see those downstream effects in in all other areas of your body. So I feel like the biggest thing is just starting. It doesn't even matter where necessarily. Um, just making small changes by, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think like perfectly wrapping up today. So if people are interested in like exploring their own personal gut brain connection, what practical advice would you give them? What are some things that they can do? I would say the first thing is don't try and do everything all at once. So maybe pick one of those foods that we talked about and just be like, okay, I'm going to try and put this in my meals, you know, three to four times a week. So even if that's as simple as like olive oil or sauerkraut um, or adding a serving of greens, I think the the most challenging piece of nutrition is that application. And so many times I think we want to jump into doing everything and that typically works for a short amount of time. And then we kind of end up going back to old habits or whatever we do before, because it's not necessarily sustainable. Whereas if we work, you know, one intervention in at a time, it makes it a lot more sustainable and it actually creates new habits. And we're also able to see like, how is this affecting me? Do I notice any difference with this specific food? Um, I think one of the easiest ways is starting with like increasing colorful foods and meals. So maybe picking a vegetable that you don't normally buy, like, you know, okay, maybe you usually get broccoli every week and then trying a bell pepper or something like that. Um, Or just being like, okay, maybe I typically have this for lunch and I'm going to try and add a serving of greens onto it or something like that. Um, And then the other thing I would say that's a great place to start is starting with trying to get that, that protein with each meal, because that really does touch on kind of all the things that we've discussed today. So a a great place to, to start. Um, and then kind of less in the nutrition and more in that mind body connection. I think even if, you know, you're able to take 10 minutes a day to support your nervous system in some way, 
Um, I think that that is really an essential part for healing anything, whether that be your brain or your gut or really anything. We need to have that space of rest because it creates an environment in which our body can heal. Um, So whether that's like sunlight in the morning or meditation or breath work, I always uh, say to clients that kind of everyone has their own flavor of nervous system regulation. So figuring out like what what works for you and what really kind of drops you into your body, I think is is huge. And then taking the space and and time for that. Um, I think 10 minutes is really reasonable because a lot of us spend quite a bit of time on our phones and I'm always trying to remind myself like, okay, you don't need to do this. You can go do a short meditation or go for a walk or something like that. Um, But I think that that's another really supportive um, intervention. And then I would say definitely if you have like very specific symptoms with gut health, like bloating or acne or nausea, IBS, um, definitely if you're really trying to work on that, I would say work with a practitioner um, just because the gut microbiome is so complex and it can be, it can feel a lot like a guessing game. Um, so if you're really kind of like on that, that journey of trying to heal, whatever it is, I would say that meeting with someone who has that, that educational background is, is really supportive. Wonderful. That was amazing. And I love how you brought in that like nervous system regulation into the nutrition conversation, because even something as small as like going for a walk helps you digest your food, Mm -hmm. helps your mental health, helps everything in your body, like, but being intentional about these things, I think is such a key factor. And just like reminding yourself why you're doing it, why it's important, really allows you to like see those benefits much more. Mm -hmm. Definitely. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Anybody who's listening today now has all the tips and tools to go improve their gut brain connection. Um, But truly, I think this conversation is really, really fascinating and something that can really benefit anyone listening. Um, I feel like it can sometimes be overwhelming to like change your whole diet and make all these great changes. But I think what you shared about like small changes, doing the little things can be really impactful for anybody who's even slightly struggling with some stomach related issues. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your knowledge with us. And yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was great. I think it's so cool that there have actually been scientific studies that show certain foods can improve mental health symptoms. That is like so fascinating. And that doesn't mean that you should go eat a handful of pumpkin seeds and all your mental health problems are going to be cured within a minute. But just knowing that these foods contain certain things that are directly related to anxiety symptoms, GI symptoms, everything that Abby was talking about. It's just really interesting, in my opinion, because it shows that the food that we eat does directly have an impact on our gut health, our brain health, and our overall well-being. And another thing that really stuck out to me throughout this conversation was when Abby was talking about her journey and how she had to cut certain foods out of her diet because they weren't serving her, they were making her feel shitty, and that she didn't state what they were. She said that she doesn't like to say the foods that she had to cut out because then it might make somebody else feel like they have to do the same thing. And that just really highlights that this conversation is so subjective, is so personalized based on each person's needs. And I really appreciated that approach because I feel like 
so many times in the media, or if you actually go to a professional, they'll be like, oh, cut out X, cut out Y, go towards Z. Like they are so specific in what they recommend, but it really is a process of just like doing that inner reflection, taking time to think about how you feel after you eat certain foods and just being really mindful about how you're treating your body. So that is all for today. I hope there's a thing or two that you're taking away from this conversation with Abby. And if you want to learn more about Abby and her services, her link is in the show notes. I hope you're able to enjoy the sunshine this weekend, and I'll be back with another episode next Friday.